Would you take your copy of God's Word? Let's turn together to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, our, our text this morning will be the first 12 verses of the chapter. As I mentioned in the, the first word on worship, if you had a chance to look at that, this passage we're going to read actually parallels a section we looked at earlier in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 16 to chapter 4, verse 6. There we saw death and all his friends and saw these various things that make us taste death and long for life, the life that comes ultimately through our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, in this passage, in chapter 9, we're going to be talking much about death, but, but the preacher's purpose here is ultimately to point us to life, to life and all of its gifts, and above all, to the gift that God gives, namely, God's own self. God gives himself to you as you receive him by faith. It's a, a good word for this morning, but in order to hear it, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come desiring to hear once again uh, your word through Holy Scripture. Indeed, Spirit, the one who wrote uh, this inspired and infallible and errant word of God, we pray that you would take your word and use it in our hearts and lives this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is, he, is, is, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, and the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you were going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, 
nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in 2004, the the number one country song for the year was Tim McGraw's song, Live Like You Were Dying. Um, You've undoubtedly heard the song, but but for the few of you that haven't, uh, the song tells the story of a guy in his early 40s who has received a a particularly life-threatening diagnosis, and he sings, or Tim Grawl sings for him. This guy spent uh, most of the next days looking at x-rays, talking about the options, and talking about sweet time. And so when the singer asked this man, uh, what did he do when the news hit him? Uh, The man said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I'd say that I would exactly not do that if I was diagnosed with something dire. But then he goes on, and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. As the song goes on, the man becomes the husband that he wished he had been, the friend that everybody would have liked to have had. He turns his heart to God and to his word and decides to embrace life and all of his gifts to end this moment, to to live like he was dying, because, of course, he was. It's a great, great song. And it's a great song because I think it reflects what the preacher is trying to tell us here in Ecclesiastes. I mean, what he's really trying to do, what the preacher's trying to do, and he's been doing it all along, is he's calling us to see reality. He's calling us to see life as it actually is, not as we wish it would be. And as part of that reality, he wants us to see, he's been telling us this over and again, he wants you to see you are dying. And so, how do we live in the line of that reality? How do we, how do we embrace life and all of its gifts? What the preacher is doing in, in this book, and, and particularly in the second half of this book, is important. Back in chapter 6, verse 12, he asked us two questions. Who knows what is good for man while he lives? Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And from those two questions, we've seen the preacher unpack other kinds of questions. How much is enough? What good is it? What's true wisdom? Uh, who knows what will happen? And over and again, as he's been asking us these additional questions, he's, he's, he's trying to use these questions to drive us to what is truly good about this life, what, what true wisdom really looks like, and above all, to this God who alone knows, who governs all his creatures in all their actions, but ultimately this God who's come to us with his good gifts and above all, the good gift of himself. And so the preacher's wanting us to to see that the only givens in this life, the only givens that we can really count on are its unpredictable nature and its uniform conclusion. That's what's true about life. 
life is utterly unpredictable and yet remarkably uniform in terms of its conclusion. Because, of course, unless Jesus returns in our lifetimes, every single one of us, even sweet Libby who was baptized this morning, every single one of us will die. That, that's absolutely true. The problem, of course, is we don't know our time to die. We don't know our times at all. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. So, of course, we don't know when we will die. For most of us, when death comes, we'll be utterly unprepared for it because life itself is unpredictable. And yet, even in the midst of this, the unpredictability of all that we experience, knowing that death is at the end of it, the preacher wants us to see that if we would simply embrace the goodness of today, the, the good gifts that God gives us today, that, that, that God actually is at work through those good gifts to lead us to the best gift, namely God himself. That, that's what the preacher wants to do to you today, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, as well as this preacher standing here this morning. But in order to get there, we have to see life's givens. The preacher spends a lot of time unpacking the givenness of life. And there, there are two givens in particular about our daily lives, about, about what real life in this real world looks like. And the first thing the preacher tells us is that life's givens are in fact uniform. We, we have a uniform experience of life. That's what he's trying to tell us in verse 1. Look at that again. The preacher says there in Ecclesiastes 9.1, All this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. What he's telling us here is that really every single one of us has a uniform experience in this regard. Life is mixed. We all experience a mixed life. We all experience blessing and sorrow. Every single one of us. We all experience love and hate. We all experience good and evil. Now, some of us might have those in different proportions, but the reality is, is that no one goes through life unscathed, and no one goes through this life without some measure of good, some measure of blessing. And there's the problem we experience is we, we recognize this reality that, that we all live these kind of mixed lives, knowing both blessing and sorrows, there's really nothing we can do to increase the one and avoid the other. I mean, there's, there's not really any way to manipulate life so that we have more blessing, love, and good, and less sorrow, evil, and difficulty. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try. I mean, as we talked about last time, some of us have, have desperately tried to live by a kind of calculus um, that, that morality will produce additional prosperity and blessing. If I just do my part and fly right and do better and, 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 and live according to the, the rules, then 
certainly that means I'll get more blessing than sorrow, more, more good than evil, more, more joy than tears, right? Well, the preacher says, no, not at all. In, in fact, the, the reality is, is that the righteous die young and the wicked live a long time. The reality is, is that, that the righteous know poverty and, and sickness, while the wicked seem to have riches and, and to have health. I mean, it's the only way that you can explain someone like Willie Nelson, right? I mean, here's a guy who completely has abused his life, who's lived according to his own creed, that doesn't seem to have any kind of God consciousness at all, and yet he played down in South Haven last night and just celebrated his 90th birthday. Meanwhile, we can all tell stories of those who, who followed after Christ, but, but were sick young, were diagnosed with cancer in their 40s, who died young. I mean, we know that we can't manipulate life in order to increase our blessing quotient and decrease our sorrow quotient. But we don't simply have this this uniform experience of life, that, that our lives are mixed. We also, the preacher tells us, have, we have a uniform experience of death. That's what he's telling us in verse 3. He says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Again, I think the preacher is trying to tell us here something important here. Uh, namely, that, that while we do not experience death in the same way or at the same time, the fact remains that every single one of us will experience death. And it's, it's not possible for us to cheat it. It's not possible for us to cheat death. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't try. I mean, some of us try to cheat death by simply ignoring it. We, we treat our bodies, we, we feel different things, or we recognize certain things about ourselves, and, but we don't go to the doctor, or we don't do what the doctor says when the doctor says, well, you need to lose weight, you need to stop drinking, you need to give up tobacco, you need to start exercising, whatever it is, and we, we just simply ignore it. We, we, we kind of think we can cheat death simply by ignoring it in the same way that we treat our cars, right? You have that noise Every time you crank up your car, you try to crank the car and that noise comes up and you say, you know, it's been there for months and months and months. But you live by this delusion that, oh, the next time I crank the car, that noise is going to go away. Right? And you just ignore it. But of course, you can't really ignore it. Just like you can't really ignore death. But we try. I mean, we try to cheat death through diet and exercise. If we just... We think if we, I just simply follow this diet, whatever the diet of the moment is, or, or this exercise plan, then I'll be able to live a little bit longer. I'll be able to add days and months and years to my life. If I just do these things, we try to cheat death through diet and exercise. Or we try to cheat death through, through moral improvement. We think if, if I can just get my nose clean and, and do these things and follow this pathway, then I'll be blessed with additional days. I can somehow put death off to the side. Grim Reaper won't be coming for me. Now, obviously, it's better, I think, to exercise than to be a couch potato. And I think it's better to live morally than immorally. It's good for us to seek life. 
But even as we seek life, we, we can't cheat death. There will come a time when the bell tolls, and it will toll for you. That's a given. It's part of the uniform experience of human beings. On the one side, our lives are mixed, but on the other side, our deaths are certain. And yet, even though these are certainties, they're uniform, we also confess at the same time a second given, that life is incredibly unpredictable. Um, That's what I think the preacher's getting at at the end of the section in, in verse 11. You see him saying, again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now from a human perspective, the unpredictability of life causes us to attribute all of these things to to time and chance. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason, does there? Why some things happen to us and not to others, or why, why things happen to others and not to us. I mean, one would think that the race goes to the swift. That is the race of life. But we know, we've experienced, it's not always those who, who run the hardest, run the fastest, who actually get ahead in life. I mean, one would think that the battle would go to the one with the strongest army. But sometimes it's not the one who has the strongest army or the biggest army that wins the battle. I mean, one would think that money and power would go to the, to the smart guys, to the, to the, the sharp ones. But all too often, the the most intelligent among us fail to succeed, while those who simply were at the right place at the right time, they seem to get ahead. I mean, there's an unpredictability to it all. An unpredictability that the fastest, the strongest, the smartest, they don't always succeed. It's, It's what Walker Percy talked about once, when he observed that you could get all A's on 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 the tests, and yet still fail life. And that's the case. There seems to be a kind of unpredictability. And when evil and suffering enter into our lives, we never seem to be prepared. It it doesn't matter how many sermons we've, we've heard on suffering, how many books we've read, how many conferences or seminars we've heard about suffering in this life. When suffering comes into my life or comes into your life, we're usually completely unprepared and utterly surprised. And that's because, as the preacher tells us, man does not know his time. You and I, we we can't know the future. And so when these things happen, they seem completely unpredictable, as though they're falling suddenly upon us. And that's particularly the case with death. You and I, we do not know when we're going to die. It's one of life's givens. We are dying, and... And yet, our dying day inevitably surprises us. And we, think, we always think it's going to be tomorrow, or the day after, or the day after. We never think we're going to die today. But friends, tomorrow is not promised to you. The Bible says in Proverbs, boast not yourself in tomorrow, for you do not know what a day might bring. You and I, we do not have tomorrow. 
all, all we really have is today. And yet for some of you, you're here this morning and you have said over and again, oh, I'll repent tomorrow. I'll, I'll repent tomorrow. But today, I'm going to go on yet another binge. Today, I'm going to look at pornography. Today, I'm going to hold on to my anger, rage, and, and malice and, and exert it to, to, against someone else. Today, I'm going to slander or libel someone. I'll repent tomorrow, but today I'm going to do what I want. It's what sin always says. You can, you can repent tomorrow, but live today. You can die tomorrow, live today. That's what we try to tell ourselves, isn't it? Others of us, we say, oh no, I'll forgive tomorrow, but I'm going to hold on to my grudge today. I'm going to hold on to my bitterness today. I'll, I'll forgive at some future point, but not today. But friend, you don't have tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. All in fact you have is today. And God is coming to you in the midst of the unpredictability of life with its utterly uniform conclusion. And he's urging you to see not just life's givens, but life's possibility, life's, life's goodness, and the opportunity that's set before you today. The reality is, is that God in his general grace, in his, in his common grace, has, has granted you goodness today in his good time. Yes, he blesses the just and the unjust. He, he grants the stuff of life to all. He, he sustains all of our lives. But God wants you particularly to, to see this and to embrace the good gifts that he gives. That's, that's part of what God wants for you, is that you might see his good gifts and seize them today. I, I think ultimately that's what the preacher's urging on us in verses 7 to 10. You see there, he says, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Uh, the, the preacher here identifies four things particularly as God's gifts. God's good gifts that he gives you in the midst of today. And the first is daily food. That's what he talks about. It's, he says, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. God gives you daily bread. We pray it every week. Give us this day our daily bread. The reality is for most of us, we're not worried about our daily bread. Already, whatever you're having for lunch is probably cooking in the oven or will be prepared as soon as you get home or you'll pick it up on your way home or you'll go out to a restaurant somewhere, but you're not worried about your daily bread. But, but this, this afternoon, as you have this meal, say, Lord, thank you for your good gifts. Thank you. You've shown me your goodness in this bread and in this drink. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for giving me this bread for today. I, tomorrow's bread will be for tomorrow. But Lord, thank you for giving me this bread for today. It's one of his good gifts. But not just our daily bread, also our festive times. I, the preacher says, let your garments be white. Let oil be on your head. This is picturing times of festivity. And think of the festive times that you've had. Weddings, 
graduations, Mother's Days, Father's Days, birthdays, holidays, baptisms. All of these days are, are God's good gift to us to help us enjoy the goodness of life, to see the joy that he offers, that life is not simply one brutal struggle to the end. Oh, there's these, these moments of joy, these moments of gladness, and they come from God's hand. They're, they're his gifts to you. But also our spouses, the preacher says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life here on earth. Look at your wife or your husband this morning. You weren't put together by accident. Oh, there may have been a great story of how you met. All kinds of twisty, turny pathways that led you to each other. But, but God was the one who put you together. Every wedding I do after the declaration, I quote Jesus, whom God has put together, let no man rent asunder. Why do I say that? Because it's true. God put you together. It was not an accident. The opposites that attracted you, attracted you. They might be rubbing you the wrong way right now. But you were put together by God himself. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That means you can't and you shouldn't take your wife or your husband for granted, those of you who are married. You shouldn't fail to forgive. You shouldn't say, I'm not going to work on the marriage. Instead, giving in to apathy or, or laziness. When you do that, you're calling God's gift a curse. You're calling it a curse. God is the one who's given you your spouse part of the goodness of life here in this world, under this, in this life under the sun. But there's a final gift that the preacher mentions. It's our work. He urges us to do what, whatever our hand finds to do with all our might. God is the one who, who brings things to our hands in our callings. And our work is, in fact, a gift from our God. When we exert ourselves, when, when we use our creativity, when we work together with others, at its best, we taste something of God's goodness by doing something hard and yet doing it by God's sustaining and strengthening grace. Now, for many of us, we, we probably don't look at those gifts as gifts. Daily bread, festive occasions, our spouses, our work. We take these things for granted because we presume we'll always have them. We'll always have time. We take these things for granted because we presume that, that these things belong to us rather than come from God's hand. Not at all. Now, what God wants you to see this morning is that life's givens, the uniform experience of sorrow and death, along with the unpredictable nature of when these things might come to us, when evil might come to us, should teach us to, that we need to live today as though we are dying, because we are, in fact, dying. Friend, all you have is today. And the question for you is, how will you enjoy God's gifts today? How will you enjoy your daily bread today? today, festive occasions today, your spouse today, the work God gives you today. That's what the preacher tells us is in fact the, the pathway to true wisdom. But even these gifts are not the end of life, not, not the true end of, of all that God intends for us. No, God gives us these good gifts so that we might see, lift up our eyes to see what is actually 
God's gift. Because God's gift to us is, is himself. In all of his common grace to you, all of his general grace in giving these good gifts, they're meant to lead you by the hand to seek his special grace that comes to you in and through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What, what's eternal life? It's life from the age to come that enters the present. It's life from the age to come that actually satisfies our deepest desires and longings so that we become new people in Jesus Christ with new wills and, and new minds, new abilities to cherish all of God's gifts, all of which are ours as we trust in Jesus. And God, God's calling you today to receive this gift, to receive God's gift of God's own self. Again, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Friends, that's absolutely true. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to receive God's gift of grace to you. Today's the day to, to, to receive a real, true, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. To call out to him and say, you've given me such good gifts, Lord. But Lord, please give me yourself. And whether that's for the first time or for the last, for the, for the 10,000th time, today is the day to call out and ask God to renew his, his goodness towards you so that you might know him as he actually is in and through Jesus Christ. Today's the day you have the gift of life today. Make the most of it. You might remember Tony Snow. He was the Fox News correspondent who then worked in the Bush White House as press secretary. In 2005, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. After surgery, he returned to work and eventually would recur and he would die on July 12, 2008. But after he came back to work, after that first surgery, he said, not everybody will survive cancer. But on the other hand, you've got to realize that you've, you've got the gift of life. So make the most of it. Today, you have the gift of life. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But you have the gift of life today. So make the most of it. Call out to this God who's come to you in Jesus Christ. If you've wandered away from him, call out to him and say, Jesus, I've gone to the far country. Please bring me back to you. Don't try to clean yourself up. Just come to him this morning as you are, and he'll receive you. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, all too often we think we have to clean ourselves up in order to come to you. But Lord, you call out to us that just as you are, that's how, that's how you want us to come. And so, Lord, please, let's grant us grace not to put off to tomorrow what we need to do today. Whether it's to call out to you, whether it's to confess in some way, whether it's to forgive someone, whether it's to repent and believe, whether it's to renew our relationship with you, whatever it is. Lord, grant us grace this morning to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.